The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Sacred City. It is a, a great honor and privilege uh, for me to be here with you. You all have been um, just a huge part of, of Heights Church and, and our development. We're only four and a half years old, and the DNA of Sacred City is, is all over um, Heights Church. And so from you all, even just giving generos- uh, generously uh, to us, you supported me for two years. Uh, specifically, like there's just a special place, like you help pay my salary and keep a roof over my head. So whenever Justin Dean, you know, when he gets up and talks about church planting, like we actually exist, okay, we're real people that are out planting churches that you're actually affecting. And so, um, so it's our honor to, to, it's my honor to be here. It is our honor to, uh, to get the now in return, um, as Rev said, support Sam and, and just what a cool gift that is. And even more so, I'll give you a little bit more context. Uh, my wife's family is actually um, was raised in that church, the building that you all bought before it was Sacred City Moline. And so I heard through the grapevine that that building might be coming available. And God in his sovereignty said, Corey, you idiot, call Sam Schmidt. And so um, so I did. So I called Sam and I called Justin and, and kind of God let me be a part of the plan to get you all um, that building for literally pennies on the dollar. And so um, just amazing. Like you just never know what he's going to do, right? And so, um, so I'm excited to be here with you. I was really hoping Justin would be here. I told him I was going to spend the first five minutes of my introduction just roasting him um, because it's always fun when the guest pastor comes to, and makes fun of the pastor of the church, but he's on sabbatical again. So I was hoping he would be here, but he's too busy. <laughs> posting on Facebook and sharing his story with us to lead us all to sin and idolatry while he's here. And, and, and it's fun is I can just stand here and make fun of him because he preaches for like two hours. So I have all the time in the world to stand here and, and, and rip on him. And so I just don't read enough, you know, to preach as long as he does. And so I'm not even sure how he might had time to make a fourth kid. You know, all he does is read and post about it. And so... I'm hoping he's watching on Facebook. Um, but I do. I, I love him. He he is a brother to me, and and um, and I will. Say, and I'll say this, and I and I mean this to the fullest. Um, that Justin Dean, Pastor Justin, whatever I call him, JD, whatever you all call him, um, has literally been the most influential man in my life, next to Jesus. And so I love him faithfully. He is a good brother. And so I'm, I'm excited and honored to, to be here to be able to preach through Ecclesiastes um, with you this morning, just, just as a brother. And so if I may, let me, um, let me just pray to kind of center myself and still my own anxieties, um, and then we will we'll get after it. Father, I thank you so much for just allowing me to come. 
I mean, just even allowing me, as we talk about your sovereignty, just allowing me to show up safely today. Um, you chose that, and so thank you. And for those of us that are here, God, thank you for bringing us here. And God, I pray that, I pray that as we get into just some real stuff, God, that you would help us just thrive in our uncertainty. Um, and, and in that, let that uncertainty land us in a place where we know that, that that's okay. It's okay to be not okay. It's okay to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's, it's okay to know that we have a sovereign God who's ultimately in control of all things, pinning all things. And God, you just invite us to the party. And so thank you for being a good father. Thank you for being a good sovereign savior, God, your plan for redemption. You're, you've executed it and you're continuing to execute it. You know how everything is going to pan out. Help us to rest in that. Help me to rest in that now, even as I preach about it. As always, Father, I pray that you still my anxiety, slow my heart, help me to focus, help me to think, keep my thoughts from running. Pray for those that are here, God, the same thing. You might still their anxieties. They don't know me. <laughs> so, God, I pray that they might find comfort in your gospel. I pray they might find comfort in, in your word and what King Solomon has to say to us. Today, God, I pray, as I pray at Heights every week, that, that we might just lose track of time, not worry so much about where we're going for lunch or what we're doing next or how our kids are doing. Just help us to settle in for just a minute. Stop trying to be in control of everything. Give us a little bit of breathing room this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name by the gift and power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you all have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we have this great philosopher or this great teacher, you could say, this great preacher, I think. Some of your pastors have called him the great preacher. This King Solomon um, is dropping some wisdom on you for the last, I guess, couple months you've been in this. And so let me just get straight to the big idea, because um, he doesn't really hold any punches, right? He sets the tone for the sermon. And so the big idea is that the only thing you can know for certain is that you are most certainly out of control. The only thing that you can know for absolute certain is that you most certainly do not have control. And, and the reality of that is like in our culture specifically as Americans, like we want to know everything. We want to have the details about everything. We want to control everything. But I want to submit to you that control is an illusion. That control is something that you have manufactured to bring some level of peace to you that doesn't actually exist. And we know this because we walk around with time bombs in our pockets that we call cell phones. And so it only takes one text message. It, it takes one phone call, one post, one article, one simple little ding and notification to shatter the little kingdom of control that you've created. Within our church alone at Heights Church, in the last two weeks, we've had two parents pass away from cancer. It, it takes... One diagnosis, just one doctor's visit, one scan can radically reshape your life and put you in a state of uncertainty. It doesn't take much, does it? And so control is something that we've manufactured to give ourselves a false sense of comfort. The only thing that we can know for certain is that we most certainly do not have any control. And so in a life that is ridden with uncertainty, the only thing that we can be certain of is that while we do not have control, there is one who does. And there is one that we get to profess faith in. There's one that we get to lean into and get to know and learn about and trust and be obedient before. And so while this is hard to hear, you know this to be true. Because some of you are thinking, 
Oh, I got some control. We, I mean, yes, you do have some. You wore clothes today. Thank you for deciding to do that, right? <laughs> you, you probably chose which vehicle you drove here. You might have chose which food you ate for breakfast. But let me submit to you that if you had children this morning, as part of your morning routine, you felt some of the reality of being out of control. Just trying to get here sometimes, the, most thing, the only thing you can be certain of is that you don't have control. And that's just in the, just, that was 30 minutes trying to get out of the house. And so King Solomon, the preacher, has a message for us today. And he says this, he's saying, let your uncertainty land you in certainty. Let your uncertainties actually give you a great deal of certainty, which is a paradox. And it has to be because the whole book of Ecclesiastes is a big paradox. So what he's saying, let the reality that you're not in control drive you to be bold. Let that reality infiltrate you and drive you to actually take risk, drive you to trust because there is someone that you can actually trust. There is someone who's actually in control. There's someone who actually took a greater risk than we could ever imagine. And we'll get to him towards the end. And so this is absolutely fantastic. There are three things that I want to share with you that King Solomon has for us today about uncertainty. I'll give you the three things up front, specifically if you're a note taker, it'll be helpful. And then they'll be on the screen as we bump through them. The first thing that King Solomon teaches us is that uncertainty prepares you for the unknown. The second thing that he teaches us is uncertainty enslaves you to the unknown. The third thing that we're going to see is that uncertainty reveals the greater glory of the unknown. So there's three things he's going to show us. We're going to start with the first one. You ready? Oh, my church talks to me a little bit. We're, we're from the South. You know what I'm saying? We got a little swag down there. We like to, you ready? Okay, good. Uncertainty prepares you for the unknown. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster will happen on earth. So I was thinking about this at Heights. We're rolling through the book of Mark right now. Mark's pretty easy. Like Jesus said, follow me. Jesus cast out a demon. Jesus healed someone. The religious elite wanted to kill Jesus. That all preaches pretty easy. I sat down to read Ecclesiastes, church, and I was like, cast your bread on the water. Like, <laughs> Justin's punking me from Colorado right now. Like, cast your, like, he lost me in the introduction, you know what I'm saying? Cast your bread on the water and you'll find it. What's he doing? Well, the, this great preacher is he's using some throwback language, completely contextual for his folks, but not so much contextual for us unless we're like out with our kids feeding ducks in the park. And, and so there's a little bit of work that we have to do, right? There, there's three different things that he could be talking about. One of them commentators are uncertain about. So I'll give you the two things that, that we think that he's most certainly talking about. And so during this time, one of the ways that the people of Israel would um, create revenue for their household is they would spread out their agricultural goods, right? And they would put these on these ships. So they would put them on vessels and they would send those ships out across the Mediterranean Sea and they would go out and they would do trades and they would do business and they would create income and they would bring that back, uh, bring that income back. But the reality is the Mediterranean Sea is full of sunken ships, and so the preacher is being very literal, but he's also being really practical to us as well. And he's saying, because you do not know what disaster might happen, beware, be cautious, but also be willing to take some risks. And so if you think about that, putting your goods out on ships and sending them across the Mediterranean Sea was a pretty risky adventure. And they would send out like not just goods and services, right? Like not just goods, but think about like sending your 401k out. 
sending out your livelihood, sending out what would sustain you as a family. Like there's a certain level of faith that they needed to even do business. And so he's saying to them very practically, be bold, take risk, but also be cautious with your finances. Be cautious with what, with your livelihood, with your wealth. And he's saying, spread that wealth out. Well, why? Because if all of their goods and services were on one ship and the ship sinks, what happens? It's gone. They lose it. It's pretty practical, right? Pretty, it's pretty easy teaching here. But if they spread those goods across seven or eight different ships, then there's a greater probability that at least one of them might return. And one of them might return with a bit of an investment for their family. So what is he saying to us? On one hand, he's saying uncertainty can actually be a gift. That uncertainty can actually lead us to be prepared. Uncertainty keeps us realistic. This might not go well for you. So be bold, but also be cautious. Spread your wealth out cautiously. For some of you, this is just a simple challenge for some of you. This text reveals you just need a budget. Because if you don't know where you're sending your money out to, then your money is going nowhere. So just a simple challenge for some of you individually and as families, you might just need a budget. There's a simple challenge for you because you're modeling poor stewardship. The problem with uncertainty is it can also lead us to do too much. It can lead us to cling a little too tight, right? It can be a little <laughs> wired a little too tight, wound up a little too tight. Uncertainty can also leave us to be too worried, spending too much time to be too prepared. Um, uncertainty can fire up even our little religious hearts and give us a false sense of comfort, a false sense of security. So we have to be cautious, right? And I don't think the preacher, I don't think he's calling us to become doomsday preppers, right? I think you can leave your bug out bag at home. But he is saying we need to be cautious in this. Cast your bread upon the water and spread it out, knowing that you will see it again in the future. What's he calling us to? He's calling us to faith. To faithful obedience with the resources that God has given us. And so not only is this text applied to us for personal gain, secondly... It applies to us in, finance, in regards to our finances to others. It teaches about generosity. And so spread your wealth out among seven or eight. More than likely, this great preacher is talking about, he's referring to the Proverbs in regards to giving your bread to the poor. It's just an easy challenge, right? If you find yourself judging people who have less than you and choosing not to bless them because you don't know what they'll do with your money, this is a good challenge to you because what he said to you is to bless those that are in need and then know good and well that while you might not get an immediate return on your investment, your generosity will actually be blessed. Your generosity will come back to you. Why? Because the command is not to give so that you can get. Like the command is not to be generous so that, so that they will be generous to you. The command rather is because God has been so generous to you, so also we should model generosity. Because God has given us so many resources, we should also then share our resources with other people. And so uncertainty then, few things, can free us to take a loss, can lead us to be prepared, but can also help us in preparing others and revealing. Sometimes we spend more time judging others than actually loving them well. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is uncertainty can enslave you to the unknown. This was heavy for me personally. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain... They empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Um, the preacher says there, there are a few things that you can know for certain. 
if the rain clouds come in, it's going to rain. Clearly, King Solomon did not live in the Midwest. Because that rain cloud doesn't mean anything, does it? It could rain. It could snow. It could be sunny. Temperature. It doesn't even matter about us. We don't even care about seasons, do we? He clearly was not from here. What was he saying? He's saying the clouds are full of rain. It's going to rain. And if a tree falls, it ain't walking away. Now, if I were Justin Dean, I would probably quote some dead old white guy quoting some other dead guy <laughs> that had read the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but I'm not him. And I don't read as much as him. So I'm just going to quote Lord of the Rings, okay? <laughs> There's this great author by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the most amazing book next to the Bible, <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. And then in The Lord of the Rings, the two towers, right? This is a very good illustration. The hobbits are on the run, and they come across some ints. That's E-N-T-S. That's walking trees. And the hobbits expect certain death. And instead, they find these confidants, and this young hobbit asks the name of the leader of these ints, and he asks his name, and he, we know him as Treebeard, but what does he respond to this young hobbit? He says this, it will not be on the screen. He says, I'm not going to tell you my name, not yet at any rate. A half-knowing, half-humorous look came with a green flicker into his eyes. For one thing, it would take too long. My name is growing all the time, as I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of things they belong to in my language. It is a lovely language, but it takes a long time to say anything in it because we do not say anything in it unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen to. And so in the two towers, the young hobbit's asking the name of Treebeard, the true name of Treebeard, and he responds with two ways. He responds by saying, um, it, first off, it would take too long for me to say to you. And secondly, he says, you just wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand my name. What he's saying is simple. You're limited in your understanding, little hobbit. So also King Solomon is saying the very same thing to us, that we are finite, that we're not infinite, that we can only know so much. We're not omniscient. We're not all-knowing. There's only so much that we can cling onto. There's only so much that we can be certain of. There's only so much that we can actually know, right? Think about this. You have unlimited access to the knowledge of the world in the palm of your hand, and yet there's only so much you can retain, there's only so much you can comprehend. There's only so much that we can take in. And so we are limited in our understanding. We cannot understand all that God is doing and can do. It would simply take too long. Think about this. God did more while you were sleeping last night than you'll do in a thousand lifetimes. Didn't even break a sweat. God did more while I was making fun of Justin Dean quoting the Lord of the Rings than we will ever do. Just in that moment, what's he saying? God is sovereign, you are not. God is sovereign, so we don't have to be. We're not sovereign. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. What he's getting at here is that farmers during that time and and even now, right, would try to guess what would happen. They'd get out on their John Deere and they bust out their farmer's almanac and they try to guess what's going to happen. And as a result, these farmers here in the text would end up doing nothing. They would just remain stagnant. Listen to me, until you can fully understand and trust the sovereignty of God, you will spend your life just simply being stagnant. 
You're going to spend your life just waiting on the perfect time. And in your wait, you will continue to remain stagnant. And you'll do nothing. And you won't take risks. And you won't walk in obedience. And as a result, you will actually not get to see God move. Like you won't get to see him work. Because you just put faith in ourselves. Like you can know some things. It's possible, right, to know a few things. It's okay. But what he's getting at is uncertainty robs us from experiencing the life that God has called us to. It just keeps us in hypotheticals. And hypotheticals keep you enslaved because they keep you focused on who? On you. On me. On the way I think things are going to go down. And when you swim in uncertainty, right, who, who are we calling to be God when we're swimming in uncertainty? Me. All of a sudden, now I, it's my world. I've created it, and, and it's my scenario. And, and what happens? We just begin to suffocate under the weight of that. Like the anxieties of swimming in hypotheticals is crushing to our bones. It's just too heavy for us to be able to manage all of that. And not only that, but check this out. We live stressed out about hypotheticals. Just think about how stupid this is. If I may say stupid up here, Sorry. Like, you live in a hypothetical that stresses you out. You live in your head so heavy and so vividly that you actually find yourself getting anxious about things that have not even happened yet. It might not ever even happen. Like, you, on the way home to your spouse, have already won the fight with your spouse. How often does that argument go that way? You already know what the boss is going to say before you walk into the office. When you get pulled over, you already know what you're going to say to the police officer, right? Like, we, just, we live in these hypotheticals all the time, and we end up just stressing ourselves out to the max. And what are we doing? We're, we're responding to ourselves as if we were God. We're, we're trying to create this kingdom, right? This kingdom to my glory and to my name and to my fame. And as a result, it is absolutely crushing us. There's only so much we can know, and to try to know anything more than we actually know it leaves us a fool, leaves us foolish, leaves us a slave. Enslaved to who? Enslaved to ourselves. How does that make any sense? Some of you are just waiting on the clouds, waiting on the right time, waiting on the right time to get married, waiting on the right time to have kids, waiting on the right time to change jobs, waiting on the right time to buy a house. Listen to me, if God is calling you to it, then the time is right now. Like he might be calling you to something different than what you have already built in your own little kingdom. But in sin, we remain stagnant and we keep, and, in the, and then in effect, we then keep from experiencing the, God that, the life that God has actually called us to. Listen, God is sovereign. Yes and amen. But man is responsible. And so this is a word from a pastor to a church. If you keep waiting, you might get passed by. And it's not because God is out to get you. It might just be because you took too long to respond. God is sovereign, yes and amen, but we are still responsible to make moves. And so some of you are just waiting, staring at the clouds. Some of you have seen horrific things, and you're just waiting on the other shoe to drop. I call it eeyore Remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? It's my birthday. <laughs> I'm just a stuffed old donkey waiting on the other shoe to drop, right? You've seen really bad things, really horrific things that have led you to do that, right? But there's only so much you can know, and what you do need to know is that God is not out to get you. He's for you. We're going to get to the gospel here in a minute. He is absolutely for you. There's some things you can know for sure. If it's cloudy and you don't live in the Midwest, it's probably going to rain. 
And if a tree falls down in the woods, it's not going to get up and walk away. And if it does, don't ask it as a doggone name because you won't understand it. It's going to take too long, right? For the most part, though, what he's saying is we are ignorant to what God can do. Don't let your ignorance leave you stagnant and fearful and cowardice, but rather trust him. There's actually a New Testament illustration of this in Matthew 25 with the parable of the tenants you might be familiar with. And a tenant was like a year's wage, we'll say like that, for the sake of time. For the sake of time. And, and so there's these three servants and there's this master and this master instills a whole bunch of money to these servants. Two of the servants spend the money well. They invest it well. They get a great return on their investment. And the master responds, you've been faithful with little. I will set you over much. Come experience the joy of the master. The other servant was fearful, cowardice. He was stagnant, scared, enslaved to his own thoughts, his own hypotheticals. And instead of doing something good with the finances, he buries them into a field. Then he returns to his master and he tells them, I was scared of what you would do. I was scared of how you would respond. He was stagnant. The master reminds him, you know, I have reaped where I have not sown. and I have gathered where I have scattered no seed. The master is reminding him, you have seen amazing things happen that you cannot explain. So why would you hide that? And then he rebukes the servant, not for doing nothing. That's surface level. That's easy. That's JV. No, in doing nothing, the servant did something. He modeled a lack of faith. He modeled a lack of obedience. And his master rebukes him, calls him a sloth and a wicked servant, wicked worker. Listen to me. Let me ask you this. What story does your stewardship tell about God's sovereignty to the people around you? The way that you manage, finally, the way you take risks, the way you boldly believe and proclaim the excellencies of God's sovereignty in your missional community, everywhere you eat, work, play, what is the way that you manage the resources God has given you? What story does that tell about God's sovereignty to the people around you? Does the way that you experience the, the freedom of finances, the freedom of God's sovereignty, does it actually allow you and others to experience the joy of the master? Or do you find yourself just simply living in hypotheticals, living in anxiety? You see, the, the challenge of this is, is, is interesting because not only does uncertainty leave you stagnant, but it's going to leave others around you stagnant as well. We're always discipling. We're always leading. The way that we manage our resources that God has given us tells the story of what we believe about his sovereignty. That's the second thing he says. The third thing he says is uncertainty reveals the greater glory of the unknown. It's kind of a play on words. I'll unpack it for you. Verse 5. Here it is again. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So we've seen uncertainty frees you to prepare for the unknown, both yourself and others. We've seen uncertainty can enslave you to the unknown. It can leave you as well as others stagnant. Lastly, then, uncertainty reveals the greater glory of the unknown. Four times the preacher has said to us, church, you do not know what disaster lies ahead, so spread out your wealth. Spread out your wealth to others. Be generous to others. You do not know the perfect time to take risks, so don't be stagnant. You can't control that. Third time, he says, you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb. Fourth thing, he said, you do not know what 
will prosper. This or that. This is the great paradox of the text here for us. The, what he's saying is like the very thoughts, the very feeling, the very emotions that lead to uncertainty actually bring us a great deal of certainty. That's, that's a paradox. What he's saying is, I don't know, but there's someone who does. I don't have to have it all figured out, but there's someone who does. And so as many of you know that we're ramping up to, to go to Kenya here in, in August, and Joshua's here and some of the missionaries that are that are going. And I went two years ago with, with Justin. Uh, I was pretty nervous and anxious about going anyway. And so we were tired, Justin and I, and we were tired of one another. And we, we were experiencing missional community on a level we just were not yet ready for, okay? We get in this full-blown argument in this little hotel restaurant, and what I learned is that Kenyans are not very loud. Uh, Americans are. And Americans who are stressed and anxious and mad at each other are not just loud, they're embarrassing, specifically for Joshua. And so one of the things, though, Justin told me on this trip was that God is in control, so you don't have to be. Simple, right? We've heard this before. We've preached this before. Sometimes we just need to hear it again. God is in control, so you don't have to be. What, is God, what, what was Justin doing in that moment to me? Reminding me of the greater glory. Helping bring certainty to me in my uncertainty. Listen, your uncertainty reveals your lack of control. That's a gift on one hand. Right, you might know how babies are made, King Solomon says. Congratulations on graduating the sixth grade. It's good. But you don't know how the spirit enters into that baby. That's above your pay grade. You can have all the theological understanding. We're a great theologically reformed, gospel-centered church. There's only so much that we can know. And in that, then our uncertainty reveals that while we can know God and while we can be fully known by God, there are just some things that we will never comprehend. And our lack of understanding reveals that we are finite and that God is infinite in our place. Right? If your God is small enough for you to understand, he's not big enough for you to worship. And if your, God, if your God is small enough to understand, it's because you manufactured him with your own hands. And that is idolatry. And so the problem that we face with uncertainty in that moment, the, the problem we face with uncertainty is that in that moment, we stop professing faith in God and we stop professing faith in ourselves. I mean, we continue pr professing faith in ourselves as if we were the one with the greater glory. The God that we turn to is always going to be ourself. And what do we do, man? We build that kingdom build that kingdom in my glory. We want things in our kingdom to go the way we want them to go, don't we? We want to be in control. We want to know all. We want to have it all figured out. We want to calendar it out and get a five-year plan together. And those are good and right things. But when those things become the main thing, that's idolatry. And all it takes is what? One text message, one phone call, one consultation, one diagnosis, and you can shatter your little kingdom. It just completely falls apart outside of the gospel. King Solomon says, because that is true, because you cannot avoid anything that God wants to do, trust him. He's for you. Verse six, in the morning, sow your seed and in the evening, withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that or whether both alike will be good. Knowing that God is sovereign sets us free to live life under the sun. Knowing that God is sovereign gives us courage to work faithfully, to work boldly, to take risks as Christians that an outsider would deem foolish. 
it's a great thing that God uses the foolishness of us to go against those who think they're super wise, huh? So what do we do? So what, why are we so uncertain, pastor, guest pastor, speaking out of the Old Testament on finances? He set me up for success, didn't he? Well, if you were to turn back to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 3, we would see the fall of man, the sin of man. The very moment where sin enters into the story comes directly after uncertainty breaks into the cosmos. Like uncertainty is not necessarily sin. Uncertainty, though, when left alone, will always breed sin. It will always continue to breed greater and greater unbelief. And so Adam and Eve, they had everything. Right, they had everything that they could ever desire. Imagine this, all of your wants, all of your needs, everything perfect, shalom, peace, balance, perfect for you in the cosmos, everything you could ever desire fully met. They knew everything. They knew everything they needed to know. The only thing that they did not need to know was sin. And they couldn't even fathom that because sin was not yet present in the story. And so then Satan, the tempter, comes and he starts to distort God's word. Adam and Eve have one command. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tempter comes and said, did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the fruit? And in that, he changes God's words. Just a little bit, right? Just tweaks them, just a smidge. And this tempter comes and he says this, right? He just tweaks the words and then uncertainty is birthed into the cosmos in that moment and doubt floods the minds of Adam and Eve. And then there's this new subtle whisper and it's not the fluttering of the Holy Spirit over the waters. It is doubt. And Adam and Eve are caught up in it. Maybe God doesn't love you, the tempter would say. Maybe God doesn't want to provide for you. Maybe God isn't a good father. You see, when you experience uncertainty, what you're really experiencing is unbelief. We've been questioning the same thing ever since. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't want to provide for me. Maybe God isn't, in fact, a good father. That comes from a heart of unbelief. That comes from a place of uncertainty that has bred unbelief into our bones. So then how do we know that God does love us? How how do we know that God does want to provide for us? How do we know that he is actually a good father? Well, Because directly after Adam and Eve's rebellion, he moves towards them. He does not leave them, right? They go in hiding and he moves in. After after uncertainty leads to sin flooding into the cosmos, the, the good father, he moves towards them with grace and he protects them and he covers them and he removes them from the garden to keep them safe. What is God doing in that moment? speaking to their uncertainty, revealing himself to them in a more clear way after sin entered into the story. And then God speaks a word of security that we still cling to, and God promises a greater glory than man. God promises that from Eve's offspring will come the one who will crush the serpent's head, that he will reverse the curse of sin for eternity. Here's what I want you to hear. If I've lost you, in spite of the uncertainty of man, God had promised to continue a most certain plan for redemption. And it's going to take all of redemptive history, all of the Old Testament. And how do we know that he's for us? Because God the Father sent the Son. Like he kept his promise. God's most precious and prized possession. He calculates the cost. He weighs his options. He knew his ship was going to sink, you could say. And what does he do? He spreads himself out across the waters of death so that the return might be redemption. 
Like, that's what he does. Isn't that amazing? Jesus dies the death that we deserve. How do we know that God is for us? Because he sacrificed his son. That's how we know. The perfect become imperfect. The sinless becomes sin. The dream that, that they had all dreamed becomes reality. The metaphysical becomes physical. God's sovereign plan of redemption is found in someone we can hug. Like, that's who Jesus is, right? He promised that. He made that, he made that happen. And so God is not out to get you. God is for you. How do you know? Because he sacrificed his son. That's how you know. I feel like I have to yell a little bit more because Justin Dean yells all the time. All of God's anger and frustration and wrath towards sin propitiated in Christ, poured out on Christ, satisfied in Christ. Why? So that we could be justified. He's not out to get us. He loves us. All the effects of sin, the curse of sin, the uncertainty and the doubts of men, the unbelief of men expiated into Christ so that we might receive his righteousness. Even in our uncertainty, he looks at us and says, righteous. My gosh, what more do we need to know? What does that mean? He sent Jesus. How do we know he loves us? He sent Jesus. What does that mean, pastor? It means he can do no more. It means he can reveal no more. He can tell us no more. He can say no more. He can offer no more. He gave everything that he had, his most prized possession for us. And we know if we know the story, the gospel well, right? Jesus dies and is buried. And for three days, uncertainty plagued the disciples. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their longings died and was buried in a tomb. No one knew that Jesus would resurrect. No one understood what he had to do. You know what they knew? They knew that when it's cloudy, it's going to rain. And when a tree falls down, it stays down. And when you die, you're dead. That's what they knew. And Jesus sacrificed, though, his resurrection reverses the effects of our doubt and our unbelief. Jesus' resurrection actually makes our uncertainty a gift because we're reminded that we're not in control and we don't have to, re have to be. The resurrection is the sign and seal of God's sovereignty over creation, that there, the resurrection is a promise revealed that there is absolutely a greater glory and we've been invited into that greater glory, a time of no unbelief, a time of no uncertainty, a time where we're with the Father forever, for eternity, Right? But like the farmers, what did the disciples do after the resurrection? They're just there staring off into the clouds. Still uncertain of what's going to happen, aren't they? And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, what? Don't be stagnant. So as if our salvation were not enough, Jesus didn't what? He birthed the church, spread himself out across the waters of death, and then returns in a redemptive, providing redemption, and then gives the church spreads himself out across seven or eight. The son gives us the most prized possession, the Holy Spirit, so that we could be the church, so that we could be a community on mission, so that we could live boldly and so that we could take risk and so we could trust in God's sovereignty. And as people see us trusting in God's sovereignty and they see God working, they might be moved to redemption themselves. And you see the beauty of missional community. It's amazing what God has allowed us to do. And so if you've not yet professed faith in this Savior and you're tired of professing faith in yourself and you're tired of your kingdom and you're feeling exhausted, let me just simply ask you to respond in doing so. And if you still feel like you need to know everything and understand everything and you're waiting on the right time, let me simply challenge you to respond that Jesus is better. He's perfectly in control so that we do not have to be. And then let me also just give you a question. 
I'll close with this question, like a real close, not a pastoral close. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible? Is it possible that if God were to reveal the future to you, that he might actually be allowing you to taste his wrath instead of his grace? Is it possible that if God were to reveal the future to you, it might actually be a taste of his wrath over his grace? Because do you really, I don't think I can, do you really think that in all of your finite ability, you could handle knowing how everything was going to go? See, the gospel, man, it sets us free to be confident, not in our work, but in the work of Christ. And the gospel sets us free to be bold, not with our resources, but with God's resources as it reveals he's given everything to us. The gospel sets us free, church, just to be faithful, knowing that he is ultimately faithful in our place. The gospel frees us from uncertainty and unbelief and puts us in a position, puts us in a posture of submission where only Jesus Christ is for certain. So how do we respond? By simply recalling on the one who's already responded in our place. By simply trusting that he is good and he is right. We're simply called to trust that he provides, that he frees us ultimately to experience life under the sun. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much for allowing me to preach um, at Sacred City. First, I thank you for Sacred City Church. I love them. So influential for us. Thank you for giving, us to, giving them to us as a family. God, I pray that, that today that the word would not return void, that you would free us from uncertainty. And when we experience it, God, just let it drop us to our knees. Get, put us in a posture of worship where we can say, yeah, we're, we are not in control, but there is one who is. And I don't, I don't know everything about him, but I know that he is the greater glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name, by the gift and by the power of the Spirit.